everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is the 162nd episode of the podcast is taking you on a journey, a frolic, a romp, a detour, if it were, uh, through the adventures of the mighty Marvel superheroes universe. Uh, we started with uh, Fantastic Four number one from 1961, way back around the time that Avengers Infinity War was coming out. Remember back then? Remember mm-hmm. back then before COVID, before... That was like our first not special or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've been doing this for a while now, and we've made it through um, all the way to July, no, August, August, excuse me, of 1967. And we're going to be picking up today with five comics, probably five, Tales of Suspense 95, The Avengers 45, Tales to Astonish 97, Daredevil 33, and unless that takes too long, we'll stack on Fantastic Four 68 for the halibut. Mm-hmm. So um, we don't do preamble with this. We'll just dive right in. I forget who has who, – who, you had the Spider-Man annual, right? Yes. I will never forget that. So right. I guess it's your turn. It is my turn. Tales of Suspense 95. On the cover, we have the gray gargoyle facing off with Iron Man. And behind him is Clark Kent. Um, or it <laughs> yeah. might be Jasper Sidwell. It's hard to tell because you can't tell if the suit is blue or not. Um, uh, if a man be stone, that hair is not Clark Kent. No, it's true. It's true. It's like Clark Kent and Jimmy Olsen had a baby. Yeah. The invincible iron man. If a man be stone after dramatically defeating the giant titanium man, he was pretty giant last ish. Tony Stark returns to his world famous factory only to find, <gasps> but why tell you now? All the thrills are waiting for you on the action-packed pages ahead. Let us frolic anew in the wondrous world of fantasydom. Led by Smiling Stanley and genial Gene Colan, joined by such cheerful cherubs as F. Jacoya Inker and L.P. Gregory. Letterer. That's hmm, new. Gregory Schmagery. Gregory the Gargoyle. Gregory. Gray Gargoyle. No, okay, we're done. Um, <laughs> so... Tony Stark has arrived. Everyone's like, hey, 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 Stark. Somebody has broken into the factory. It's a bad guy. He's like, okay, then all of my weapons and top secret things are in there. Let's go get the bad guy. So he gets all of his uh, armored, not armored, but armed uh, security people to go after. And um, they go inside and they found (gasps) it's Jasper Sitwell. Jasper Sitwell from S.H.I.E.L.D. is just hanging out in a chair, waiting for Tony Stark to show up. He has been sent by Nick Fury himself to just sort of, um, to just sort of, um, be there, like, around in Tony Stark's presence. Not entirely sure if it gets much more specific than that, but he is bound and determined to do this job to the utmost of his abilities, and being Jasper Sitwell, the bound and determined really, really comes through. Um, so Tony Stark's like, okay, okay, that's fine. You just stop saluting. We'll, we'll get along fine. Um, meanwhile, the gray gargoyle, uh, his power of limited flight comes back to him out of nowhere while he is in prison. So he flies away. 
goes to a hastily rented penthouse, starts mixing up his chemicals, which he reps, uh, rubs all over his body to turn himself to stone. And he sees in the Daily Globe that Stark Enterprises announces the development of a new cobalt superweapon against which there can be no defense. So he figures if he's the Grey Gargoyle and he can have this cobalt superweapon, he could be anybody, Thor, anyone, and he would never be beaten again. So that's what he does. He, he gray gargoyles, stones himself up and sets out. And every time he runs across a security guard, he touches them and then turn to stone. Uh, Tony Stark and Jasper Sitwell are hanging out in the private lab when the alarm light starts going off. And Stark's like, oh, no, that means trouble. Hey, um, Sitwell, the alarm is going off. And Jasper Sitwell's like, yeah. And Iron Man's not around. Some bodyguard. I guess I'll go deal with the intruder. Tony Stark's like, that's a great idea, kid. You go do that. I'll just stay back here and um, watch the test tubes. So Grey Gargoyle starts bursting through the door, turning people to stone left and right. He uh, fights Jasper Sitwell, who manages to dodge his blows repeatedly long enough for Iron, uh, Tony Stark to put on his Iron Man suit. Grey Gargoyle does punch through the wall where Jasper Sitwell's head used to be. And so his fist comes through the room to where Iron Man was. So Iron Man jumps out and starts fighting the gray gargoyle on Jasper Sitwell's behalf. Um, while they're fighting, one of his hands touches, oh, he punches gray gargoyle. So one of his gauntlets starts turning to armor, uh, to, to stone. And um, Jasper Sitwell gets away from there. So while Iron Man keeps fighting, one of his arms brushes up against Gargoyle, turning one of his arms to stone. And then Gargoyle's like, I'll just rub down the rest of you and turn the rest of you to stone. So he turns Iron Man to stone, carries him to the top of the lab. And while Jasper Sitwell stands on the ground, gazing up in astonishment, Grey Gargoyle throws Iron Man to his stony death. Next, what price victory? So they color Jasper the same gray as they do the gray gargoyle on the cover to where I didn't even notice there were three people on the cover. Mm-hmm. And since I never would have guessed in a million years that it was Jasper Sitwell, I was actually awesomely surprised that it was Jasper Sitwell. <laughs> yes. Because I had no idea who this mysterious guy was. I was wondering um, if you would figure out that it was Sitwell. No. No Th clue. Just in one of the random searches of stuff, I, I I knew that it was Sitwell back whenever we saw him sneaking in. Uh-huh. And I actually, I think the, because I think it was in the last two issues, and I think I said it's somebody we know. You're like, mm -hmm. I don't know, it's going to be somebody we know, it's going to be Sitwell or somebody, right? And I was like, I don't know. But um, I don't think yeah. you didn't sound very committed to the idea. You were just spitballing. Um, did I say Sitwell? Wow. Um, I think yeah. you did say Sitwell. I'm really glad I... Don't pay a lot of attention to covers either, since they ruin the surprise right there on the front of it. <laughs> also, I thought you were going to say this. Uh, I thought that's where your direction was going. On the cover, Sitwell is colored like the gray gargoyle, but guess who doesn't get turned to stone in this issue? Right. <laughs> Sitwell. Um, this was I, really cool, though. I enjoyed this. This was really cool. I had some despair last issue that maybe I was like losing my love, and mm -hmm. this, was, this was a happy chapter. Yeah. So basically, Sitwell is like playing the Coulson role in this story. Yes. Yeah. He's like, baby, he's like, he doesn't actually say you're right. He kind of, he just basically says something like, since Iron Man and you are always disappearing and you're our chief weapon guy, Nick Fury thought I should be around. But that basically sounds to me like babysitting. Mm hmm. So 
That's he's the Coulson a, role. Make sure Phil, he does what he's supposed to be doing. Phil Coulson in the films was certainly more Jasper Sitwell than Jasper Sitwell in the films was. Yes, for sure. Um, and uh, my vague impressions of the kind of character that Sitwell sort of takes in the future isn't too far off from the more hardened uh, Coulson that we get in later seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So I think that's a pretty good parallel. It's weird. I just watched, rewatched the first Thor, and that's, I think, the first appearance of Coulson. I mean, uh, Sitwell. Coulson. Uh, oh, no, you, you, it was Sitwell, right? Because bald. He, like, barely. They just, I don't even know if they call him by name, but I noticed that he was in there. I think that was the first time you ever see him. And it's just like, God, why did they, like, in name only <laughs> make this guy, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, now that I know who Jasper Sitwell is, it's kind of a bummer what they did with him in MCU, but whatever. He's in this short film, The Consultant. He sits mm. and talks with Coulson about the idea of um, bringing in Ross and the Abomination and sending Tony to botch the negotiation. Mm. I may have seen that. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, Coulson is much more Sitwell than Sitwell is Sitwell. You know, I had forgotten as I was starting this that Sitwell had you know been teased the last couple of issues. So as they're like, mm-hmm. oh no, somebody's broken in, and they're fo- I-, I totally expected to turn the page and see Gargoyle in there, but mm. no. It was it was Jasper sitting in his chair. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember whenever Starenko finished up the whole Strucker thing and Strange Tales like really became the Starenko book? And it yeah. opens with Nick Fury and Dugan and Jones and Sitwell uh-huh. just walking through the drizzly New York. And sit, they all go their separate ways. And Sitwell's like, I can't tell you where I'm going. I've got some really hush hush orders. Mm hmm. This is where Who he was goes. he talking to? He was talking, was he to, talking f- to Nick Fury? To the group. Okay. So Nick knew, apparently, during apparently. that conversation. Apparently. Um, I don't know why this is hush-hush, per se. I don't either. A, a babysitting job. But maybe he just takes all S.H.I.E.L.D. instructions very seriously, and they're all hush-hush. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Maybe he was, like, overstating it. It's like, I've got these, you know, I can't tell anybody what I'm doing. And and Nick and Dum Dum, like, look at each other and half smile, half roll their eyes, because Jasper is so dang earnest. <laughs> I like how they play off each other, he and Tony Stark, because, like, mm-hmm. I was thinking, like, Tony, we don't, other than when he pines for Pepper, we don't get a lot of Tony personality. And, like, this is kind of a nice, like, uh, contrast between... Jasper's like dutiful and corny dialogue. And then Tony's just like, um, yeah, you're kind of nuts and annoying. If this doesn't turn into a three issues of just fighting with the gray gargoyle, if there is more time for character stuff, um, Mm. I I, I will look forward to seeing Tony and Jasper interact more. Cause yeah, I think Jasper's volume is turned up a little in this, as far as his personality goes, uh, compared to the shield, maybe, but he was definitely kind of obnoxious to Nick and, Dumb, dumb <laughs> like, yeah. like he's very he's very qualified and capable, but he also comes off as like kind of a, a a newbie dork somehow at the same time. Maybe instead of putting his best foot forward, he tries to put his best foot forward instead of puts his like most foot forward. <laughs> Just nobody yeah. likes like a perfect person, brown noser person, I guess, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Um I was just thinking during the fight, Iron Man decided to punch the gray gargoyle, knowing exactly what his powers did. And I was like, Greg, mm-hmm. Tony, if you have repulsors, if you can punch, you should shoot. It's interesting that he doesn't instantly turn completely into a statue, like most things do mm-hmm. when touch. So like that armor is somehow tough enough to sort of stop it a little bit, but not yeah. really, I guess. I like the idea of it being segmented. You know, the armor is not all mm-hmm. of a piece. Mm-hmm. There you go. 
And a really, really nice cliffhanger at the end. I really enjoyed mm-hmm. this chapter. Yeah, good stuff. Last issue of Iron Man, apparently. Yeah, he's dead now. He's, he's Stone he's Man. He's dead. I don't see how he's going to get out of this. We know Stone Boy was in the Legion of Substitute Heroes, so maybe we're about to have a crossover. I think the trampoline that, that Jasper's pulling has nothing to do with next issue. Probably. Anything else on Iron Man? That's it. Captain America, living legend of World War II, TM. Oh, boy. A yep. time to die, <laughs> a time to live. Gunner uh, Gates. You know, old yep. Gunner Gates, that classic sure. Captain America antagonist. That guy. He's a fugitive gang leader, and Captain America has discovered Gunner's hideout. No need to tell you anymore. Cap's busting in, and it's time for action. Stan the Man Lee and Jack King Kirby in the prestigious company of Joe Sinnott Inker and Artie Simic Letterer have done their very best. Now the rest is up to you. So he throws his shield through the door, which is, you know, probably more dramatic than just Kool-Aid manning his way in there. And punches out some bad guys. And that's basically the opening scene. He just opens in the middle of a mission. Uh, and then, um, no, no, no. Yeah. He thinks about where did this mission come from? And how he, a few hours ago, was just sitting out in the mansion of millionaire industrialist Tony Stark, which is Avengers headquarters in his um, undershirt. And he gets a phone call. And it's Agent 13. A name that Steve shouts whenever he hears her voice on the phone. A name that we have not heard before in connection with this woman. But hey, you know, whatevs. Agent 13. So Agent 13 and Steve Rogers are driving around in a car. And they're talking about how much they really enjoy spending time with each other. How could I be disappointed in you? You're exactly as I thought you'd be. Exactly as I always pictured you growing up when I heard stories about you as a child. Um... They go to dinner, they have dinner together, and at one point, I think she even mentions how they're so devoted to each other, but she's never even told him her name, and she still doesn't. Um, And then he's like, you know, if I love you, and you love me, let's get married. And she's like, "Um, that would mean I would have to quit S.H.I.E.L.D., and I'm not ready to do that, because this is 1967, And that's just the assumption. The woman's going to quit working when she gets married. And he's like, oh, well, I guess if you have to work. She's like, maybe one day when my mission is complete and Fury no longer needs me. And he's like, okay, fine, whatever. I'm not hungry anymore. Get whatever you want. And so they drive home and she kisses him goodnight. And he's like, it's always duty. Duty caused the death of Bucky Barnes. And duty is keeping us apart. Ah, I'm going to go be Captain America and do this one last mission, and then I'm done. So flashback over, back to the middle of the fight. He finishes beating up the last of the people, and the guy is sitting there, and he's like, this is going to be a swan song for both of us. You're finished, Gunner, and so am I, takes off mask. The time has come for Captain America to finally die, so that Steve Rogers can begin to live. The following day, the papers are everywhere. Captain America retires. Steve Rogers is cap. Extra, extra, read all about it. And the old people are like, yeah, but I loved Captain America. And now he's done. That's crazy. Back at headquarters of S.H.I.E.L.D., Nick Fury's like, yeah, um, okay, I can't. I don't know why Captain America quit. You know, whatever. I need to get rid of Tony Stark. So, you know, get a hold of him for me. And Agent 13 comes in. Fury. What is up with this? This is my fault. He's like, yeah, so what? 
you do what you want to do. He's going to do what he's got to do. Whatever. And she's like, fine. Um, I guess I'll quit soon, too. And maybe he'll take me back. So Steve Rogers goes to Tony Stark and all Tony Stark's tailors, gets lots of clothes so he can live a life as Steve. He sits down in the chair and thinks about his life for an entire splash page that is continued next issue. Well, I like the things that happened in this story. I just don't like the timeline of this story. Okay, talk about that. And I was reading it desperately trying to figure out like if I could somehow no prize or retcon that this takes place over a span of six months or something like that. You know? Okay, yeah. But I can't justify it. There's too many clues that suggest this is like their first date. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so then it's like, oh, it makes me just rub my temples that he's proposing to her on like date one. And it's like, really, there's nothing like, oh, please let me figure out a way for this to be like six months later or something. But it's like, no, this has to be date one because he still calls her Agent 13. She says something like she's never seen him without his mask on before. It's like, come on. This yeah. is crazy. So this is like literally the first time they've gone out and he's like proposing to her, which is crazy. He doesn't even know by her Marvel name. standards. Doesn't know her name, doesn't know anything about her. She doesn't know anything about him. And the writing between them is really overwrought. Yeah. So we're getting to that era where it's like like you and I have kind of poked fun at sexism and stupid fellas in Marvel and it's been great, but now we're now it's gonna bite me in the butt because I know that (laughs) he's not gonna handle Agent 13 well for a while. So No. (laughs) It's gonna just be awkward. To be fair, there is some excuse to put the blame on the character steve rogers yeah but there's also some in the writing and the writing is probably due to the cultural mores of the day because agent 13 assumes that marrying steve means quitting her job and that's not steve rogers sexism there no but could we argue that maybe she means it in that she is a super spy who disappears for six months at a time maybe has to co-mingle with the opposite sex to get to get the secrets or to accomplish the mission and she just doesn't want to marry a guy because that would be a horrible relationship because she just doesn't have the ability to do both um it's not, it's not like she works at target and comes home every day at five right you could spin it that way but i feel like we've it's already a hard established style. that like you know he's tried to hook up with her multiple times and she's always missing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that's probably not what she meant of course Right. But that is a job that isn't necessarily conducive to monogamous marriage, you know. I don't know. You just never see each other. Um, but I still can't figure out why Steve Rogers would propose to her in a day, except that lately he's been talking about how he's lonely and has no real life. So maybe he just got crazy desperate. Okay, so I've been, watching, I've been watching Dark Shadows, okay, mm-hmm. which is a soap opera. And soap opera is a heightened form of storytelling. That's fine. Just like comics, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, there's this one sort of budding relationship between a uh, male and female character. And there's a little bit of attraction really early on. But then just in recent episodes, they've been like spending a lot of time together. And the way they tell the story in that show, the confession of love and mm-hmm. the proposal of marriage happen in the mm-hmm. same conversation. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. So it's, I mean... This feels so bizarre to any sort of like responsible relationship management, but Mm. I feel like it's almost expected of the day, or at least, at least close enough to cultural norms to still be in the stories. 
I feel like we haven't had anything this fast yet, though. Like, this is the fastest. Um, Foggy tried. That is true. He did try and propose, didn't he? Issue two. Foggy was ready to say, Karen, I love you. Will you be my wife? That's right. And they just met. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Maybe a month or two had gone by, but yeah. So Steve and Foggy are exactly the same. (laughs) Uh, But that said, there are things I like. Like I said, I like the things that happen. I just think it's all too fast. But I love seeing like them on a date in their civvies. Mm -hmm. That was cool. Very cool. Um, I even like the conversation in a way. Um, But even like outside of the proposing too fast, like Captain America retires front page Daily Bugle the next day. Like how'd that happen even? That's too fast. Who announced that? Did he call the paper? Doesn't sound like something he'd do, <laughs> you know? So that's weird. Stuff like that was weird. Uh, I'll buy that somehow it got leaked some Maybe way. Maybe the mobster he demasked in front of, like, told the reporters or something? Well, see, there's that whole thing. Who needs a mm-hmm. secret identity anyway? Right. We've had a lot of speculation about how much his identity is known from the war. Uh-huh. I guess that just doesn't matter anymore. Steve well, Rogers is his name. Do they say his name? Yeah, so that Steve Rogers can begin to live. Oh, really? It yeah. says that in the paper? No, he says that to Gunner. Oh, he says it to Gunner. Yeah. Maybe there's a lot of Steve Rogers that are blonde or something. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. And, you know, in the 80s, a lot of time has passed. So maybe some guy saying he's Steve Rogers, they'll automatically assume that he's Captain America because why would Captain America come and try to get a cartoonist job in a newspaper? I don't know. Yeah. I like that he sent a shield to Fury. Um, and I kind of like that Fury is slightly blasé about it because either A, he's just too busy or B, he kind of knows that this isn't going to last, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is true. It won't. He has like, you just got to take these things in stride. Just calm down. It's okay. It'll all be fine. We'll just hold on to this shield until issue, you know, 99. You know, to tie into our Strange Tales conversation for next episode, uh, he comments in that issue about, uh, Fury does, about how he wishes that Dugan or Jones were around. And Starenko will, you know, has basically been changing the entire cast of characters over in S.H.I.E.L.D. Meanwhile, over here in Captain America, Dugan's still there. Dum Dum Dugan being himself. So, yep. I don't know. S.H.I.E.L.D. is still S.H.I.E.L.D., I guess, even though in Starenko's yeah. S.H.I.E.L.D. it's different. Um, so, on page three, she's like, this is the first time I've seen you without your mask. He's like, well, I hope you think I'm pretty. And she's like, well, how could I not think you're pretty? And then she says, you're exactly as I thought you'd be, exactly as I always pictured you. I've seen you so often, imagined you so often in my dreams. And his response in his head is, yeah, she thinks about me, right? So, you've discussed me. <laughs> but I was thinking, is this a hint that she's got a certain aunt that maybe has talked about Captain America to her a lot, which made her infatuated about Captain America? Well, or, is was, this, or are they just saying that she's creepy and thinks about Captain America too much? We did learn in her first appearance that she is related to somebody who mm-hmm. has told her about yeah. So, yeah, this right. could be a hint back to that. Um, it's just – it's a little weird because I don't think she knew in that – I think she knew in that story that it was Steve Rogers, not Captain America. But I don't know. The, I forget exactly how the weird continuity played out. But, yeah. Um, that or they're just saying that since they met, she thinks about him a lot, which is fine too, I guess. But I kind of read it as she's hint, she's like not revealing that there's secrets that he needs to know about. Yeah, I don't know. Um, which by the way is another reason she should turn him down because, you know, her aunt's war lover is asking her to marry him. It's weird, right? Should she not reveal that information before she says yes, you know? And people have reacted very strongly to this as it's been shown in the films because, Mm -hmm. you know, 
when it's visual and it's in a film, it's more visceral. But Steve mm-hmm. Rogers and Peggy go mm-hmm. to sleep. Steve Rogers and Sharon, and she's his her great niece or something like that. And people are like, ooh, stop. No, don't. But like that's been the source material for 50 years. <laughs> and isn't it? Aren't they sisters at this point? Or am I wrong yes. about that? Yes. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're, so that's even worse. They're so, a wide gap sister age. Right. So she really ought to reveal that <laughs> before she uh, says yes. Maybe that was one of the reasons she said no, but it didn't seem like it. And he reacts very, very strongly to her turn down. And suddenly like the entire evening is over. It's, it's just weird. You propose marriage, which by the way is, is, is a big deal. You don't just like do that. Um, and she's like, I don't know later. And suddenly his mm. entire evening is ruined. And well, that, that's a man for you. That is, that is definitely a man for it. Just, it's a, it's an know. ego thing. Did you think it was going to go that well? Um, cap or Steve Rogers and Tony Stark hang out, which is probably a first. Um, seems like when he's getting a suit. Yeah. Page nine. Presumably, presumably Tony's buying it for him. Cause he doesn't have any money or if he does have money, I don't know where he gets his money from, but. Oh, and Tony confirms, Tony confirms his secret identity is out. By now, anyone who can read knows that Steve Rogers and Catch America are one of the same. Yeah. So they're going to do like a Mephisto thing in two issues and undo all this? Or not. <laughs> or they just don't care. I don't think anybody's ever cared. But and You said Tony and Steve are hanging out. I kind of think of it as Tony is hanging out with Captain America because he's the Avenger and Tony f- bankrolls the Avengers. But right. now that he knows the Avengers, Steve Rogers, he can see him in his undershirt, whatever. But has um, Tony Stark ever hung out with the Avengers? No. No. So I that's why see, this was kind of an interesting scene to me. Yeah. I, I can see this happening because he's like sort of mm-hmm. setting Steve up with things he needs to get by. That, that's mm-hmm. that's very much the role that Tony is supposed to have with the team. They talk about Tony while Iron Man is in the room. And they also have talked about Tony while Iron Man has been gone from the team a lot. Like he's the guy who bankrolls it or he created this computer we're using or whatever. But I've never seen mm-hmm. Tony just being like, hey, Hawkeye, how's it going? You know? Right, right. Um, yeah, so like uh, a very uh, frustrating story because I do like a lot of the things that happened in it, but I also dislike a lot of the things that happened in it. My last thing I was going to say is that he's ready to leave the Avengers high and dry. Yeah, he doesn't even talk about that, does he? Very briefly. How will the Avengers take when they convene? Uh, they'll survive. They've got enough members yeah. now to start a colony. Which is which is uh, the opposite of how he's been. He's usually more like, I have to be the caretaker of the Avengers. Uh, so he's just being grumpy and and moody and... Selfish, which is okay, I guess, because like like he said many times, he has no life. So maybe he's just trying to actively create a life for himself right now, mm-hmm. badly. We anyway. Only, we only have four more issues of this title. I know, and he'll be uh, Captain America by then. I know that for a fact. I can't remember how this plays out, but by 100, yeah, he'll, he'll have the outfit again for sure. I almost think that they do the 100 and like it's like celebrated that he's Captain America again, but I could be wrong. That could be made up. I believe it's a continuation directly from 99. So, Because I, I remember when I, I didn't own any Tales of Suspense and I owned Captain America 100, I always wondered how it opened up on that story. Right. I, I actually think that this is starting that whole arc. So maybe, yeah. maybe over the course of 97, 98, 99, he becomes Captain America again, and 100 is like, yay, Captain America. He becomes like a bouncer at Wakanda <laughs> or something because he needs a job now. Yeah, Black Panther's in that arc. I forgot. Yeah, we, we talked yeah. about that recently. And I don't remember why that is either, but it is. Okay, we'll find out. No we'll spoilers. Avengers. Just bad memory. Okay, speaking of Avengers, Avengers 45, Blitzkrieg in Central Park. That means fast, by the way. 
Blitzkrieg? So fast in Central Park? Weird. Anyway. It's like a, it's like a German army attack. Yeah, which means fast. Because I was just watching World War II thingies the other day. <laughs> anyway. Featuring the fiendish far-out fury of the Super Adaptoid, Stan Lee personally presents and polishes a Roy Thomas Don Heck melee of matchless Marvel magnificence, delineated by the proud pinpoint of Vince Coletta, lettered by the fumbling fingers of Sam Rosen. Uh, It opens with Iron Man, Thor, and Hercules, and they're all going to Central Park. Um, And I guess this is direct continuation from Avengers Annual then, because Iron Man and Thor are here. Although I don't know if you have to read it that way, but whatever. Uh, meanwhile, I guess there's going to be a an Avengers um, celebration day. It's Avengers Day, so mark that on your calendars, kids. Um, Wanda and Pietro are getting ready, and Pietro has like a more character-like moment of crankiness because he's like, why are we dressing up for these sapiens? They're always mean to us anyway. And she's like, dude, you haven't been like that for many, many issues. What's going on? He's like, I don't know. I'm just grumpy. So then they all go to the park where they meet uh, Hawkeye, um, and in the park – in the crowd while they're all waiting. They're waiting for Wasp to show up because she said she'd be coming in later and they're waiting for Captain America to show up. So while they're waiting in the crowd, this one human who's not really a human thinks about how he's not a human. He's the super adaptoid. And he's like, my mission was to kill Captain America. And that one time I threw him off a bridge, I really thought that would have worked. But it turns out after I fought the X-Men, they told me, no, he's still alive. So here I am waiting for Cap to show up so I could fulfill my mission, my purpose. Um, Hawkeye thinks about Black Widow and how like she's not there because she's still recovering from a bullet wound, so I guess she's off the team for right now. Thor is very impatient. He wants to go do his Thor things, whatever that is. Um, Wasp shows up. She has money now, and she bought herself a... Uh, I can't remember what it is. Some sort of Mustang thingy. Really expensive. I looked it up, but now I don't remember what it was. doesn't matter. Car. She got a car. And everybody's going all crazy. Um... The crowd starts getting bored, so Hawkeye does arrow tricks and Hercules does giant big rock tricks. Thor and Iron Man are finally like, you know, we're not even really on this team anymore, and we're bored and we're waiting for people, so we're going to get out. See ya. Captain America does show up right after that. He says, Avengers assemble. They all get together. The first thing they do on Avengers Day is offer Hercules membership, and he's like, oh, I really wanted that too, but I was didn't want to ask because in a year I'm going right back to Olympus. But yes, I will be a member. Awesome. Thank you, friends of Earth. Um, and as that happens, the Adaptoid reveals himself and attacks Captain America, but Goliath intervenes. And for some reason, Goliath, the Super Adaptoid, and Wasp just fight and fight and fight, and the rest of them just kind of stand there and watch. It's because they shrink down to like ant size and fight and fight and fight. Um, And so, like, Cap and the rest of them are telling the police, like, hey, can you make all these crowds go away? Um, Eventually, eventually they all grow back to normal size. And then various other people take turns taking on the Adaptoid. They get the impression that the Adaptoid is trying to kill Captain America. So they all start intervening on his behalf and getting in the way and making sure that he can't get a hold of Cap. Eventually, I think, to make a long story short, Quicksilver figures out that you know what? He's only using one or two powers at a time, so let's all attack him at the same time. So they all attack him at the same time. He tries to use all the Avengers' powers that he has in his arsenal at the same time, and that overloads him, and he falls over on his face. The crowd goes, hurrah, and the Avengers go, with the power of Hercules, we are now cooler than ever. Um, Okay, O Paragon of Patience, you've allowed us a one-off beat epic as a change of pace 
from our recent continued story sagas. But if you think the Avengers are through with changing for a while, forget it. Or better still, don't miss our next astonishing ish. When Riths, Riths, the whirlwind. Nuffs, Riths, the whirlwind. Nuff said. Um. So I think they read the Otto Bender book and decided to have their own Avenger Day. I think you're right. That is kind of <laughs> funny, right? And they also did that la- that last story where like they all split up to take different parts of the world or in the annual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which isn't too unusual a comic trope, but uh, no. But yeah. And I didn't expect this to this special to fit right in between issues like it does because the last ones we've read have not done so. Um, no. Daredevil was weird. Uh, Spider Man was weird. Um, Fantastic Four we have not gotten to yet. Um, so whenever, no, it worked really well. Yeah, we did do the Fantastic Four. You know, I'm sorry, but yeah, the Avengers. Whenever we read it, I didn't realize that we had finished. Sorry, I didn't mean to bring it. Finish the arc, then our special, then this arc starts up. I just didn't expect it to go like that. Mm-hmm. And again, if you skip the annual back in the day, you could just assume that Thor and Iron Man are showing up for Avengers Day mm-hmm. and had nothing to do with any adventures or anything. It's not but plot it, dependent. It's just plot connected. Right. Yeah. So are we saying that um, August 8th is Avengers Day or is this just a one-time thing that happens? I think it should be. I think August 8th, 19, uh, every year should be Avengers Day. 8-8 eight, eight yeah. Avengers. Yeah, there you go. That works. Um, Scarlet Witch is right. Quicksilver's gripiness is kind of coming out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Before this point, he's generally a pretty friendly guy unless you're threatening his sister. Uh, but this attitude is definitely what becomes more typical of him as years go by. Yeah, and he was grumpy pants before they joined the Avengers too. I think I commented before that it seemed like he's he's been very like cooperative and pro team since mm-hmm. he's been on the Avengers, which is kind of not really the character I think of when someone says Quicksilver. So this seemed more on point. Um, but yeah, he was. I don't know what his thoughts were on humans back in Avengers because you're right; he mostly just let. Scarlet Witch to make all their decisions for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now he's like, maybe he, he's just where he's literally just saying like, you know, a group of people are stupid. One person is okay. But you know, when a bunch of <laughs> sapiens form a herd, it's like, we got to be careful. And maybe he's not wrong there. I yeah, don't I was going to say, he's not wrong. Humans individually can be pretty awesome. A mob of humans, not so much. Right. <laughs> right. Um, I do feel like, and I could be overstepping, I do feel like this is the beginning of what will become a drift between these two characters, because mm. uh, they've been a unit ever since their introduction. They're they're inseparable, mm-hmm. but eventually they do separate. Scarlet Witch stays on the Avengers, Quicksilver goes off and does other things. And I'm not positive, but I think that the sentiments and events started here kind of lead us in that direction. I think of Scarlet Witch as like a lifer. Avenger, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that way about Quicksilver. No. So at some point they must split, yeah. To me, I he's even this... more of an X character, but he's not even a whole lot of that. Yeah, I was gonna say, I don't think I don't really think of him as as being part of any particular team, really, except maybe the Inhumans, once he starts getting into Crystal. But Right. Um, I wish like I wish they would have followed up on this a little bit, but I don't know how they would have. With Quicksilver? With this this beat of like him being wary of all these humans. Like at no point does this get brought up again in this issue? Oh, not in this issue, but it, it, like I said, it's, it's starting things. Okay, cool. Um, there are a couple of still events. A cool moment. Yeah. in the next six months within the next six issues of stories that I'm pretty sure are based on this. Mm. Because if you remember, like Magneto found them 
from a riot. So, mm-hmm. so they, they, they should be a little touchy about humans gathering in mob form. And I have since learned that Burgermeister is actually a very common term for a person in charge of an Eastern European town. So yeah. I thought it was really weird in that story, but no, no, it's normal. I'm just un, uneducated and uncultured. I, I just don't understand how you haven't seen Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I have, but it's been a long oh. time. Well, Burgermeister. <laughs> They're all evil, by the way. That's just a thing. I don't know why. Okay. <laughs> because it means master of people or something like that. So, of course, if you're a Burgermeister. Hawkeye talks about marrying Black Widow and both of them <sighs> leaving yeah, the Avengers. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, we yeah. dodged a bullet. They don't even like, I mean, not that chemistry is even needed in these early stories, apparently, but like, I don't feel it with them more than anybody else that's ever been a potential couple. Like, it just feels forced or fake or something. Yeah. Maybe it's because in the future, I know that Widow hooks up with other people that are more interesting for her, but, and he has Mockingbird and all that, but yeah. It's like I I want to disagree with you, but I don't really have anything to to hang that on because, like, we know of nothing about their personalities that would make them have anything in common other than mm-hmm. the fact that they used to work together and fight Iron Man she, together. And, and she tried to manipulate him into fighting Iron Man. Yeah. yeah um, I don't know. So a couple of continuity corners. Mm-hmm. Um, this is spelled out specifically in this issue because of the way we do this show. We just talked about a story where Captain America retires uh-huh. And now we have this story where Captain America is very much not retired. And the reason we have them in this order is because we just crossed the barrier between shipping weeks. Uh-huh. So suspense shipped last week. Uh-huh. Avengers ships this week. And mm-hmm. so within our um, week of, sh- of shipping, we put these in order. So it's just a little bit weird with the continuity there, but it's after this and a few issues of Avengers stuff that Captain America goes and quits in suspense 95. And all you listening going, well, why didn't you just flip it? It's like, because isn't it cooler to know that kids in 1967 were confused? I think yeah. it's cooler. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's to get the reading experience, even if it's a weird experience, yeah. right? Yeah. And I actually was reading this and he was late in this story. And I actually thought, are they going to bring up that, are they going to find out at Avengers Day that Cap quit and he's oh. not showing up? You know, I was waiting for that beat, but it didn't happen. No, it didn't. Uh, might as well give a Thor continuity update while we're at it. So, um, oh, 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 sorry, sorry to interrupt, but he does think like I tried to talk to the police when I'm seriously wondering why I should give up life as Captain America on page seven. So it's like he does reference it. Yeah, which, I like to think of it as now that we know we're doing that story in the other book, let's seed it here yeah. since this is technically a prequel. So he goes on a date. She says no. He starts thinking about giving up being Cap, he goes to Avengers Day, and then after that, the last part of the Tales of Suspense thing happens. That can work. That can work. Something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, So Thor right now is in the middle of another protracted storyline because that's what he does in his books. Um, And that started in 142. Remember, we had a couple of one-shots on Earth with replicas. Um, Uh So in 142... While Thor is fighting the Super Scroll, Sif and Balder decide to go confront the Enchanters, which started the whole ball rolling where we are now in Thor. Mm-hmm. But before 142, there is a lot of Thor guest spots. So that's where his fight with Daredevil is, his appearance in the Avengers special, which was right before this and here. And get this, his fight with the Loki-controlled Destroyer from last year's Thor annual. 
mm-hmm. also goes in this little slot right before Loki then sends the Super Scroll after Thor in issue 142. See, Thor's a bigger mess than Cap is. In this he issue. really is. With all of his issues bleeding directly into each other. Um, and this is all from, if anyone's wondering, the, the chronology. Obviously, chronology is, is subjective. But this is from the official Marvel Index uh, Thor book. Um, so when he, when he says, but the son of Odin had other duties, duties which even now should see him in eternal Asgard. Is he talking about a specific storyline right there? Or is that just a generic, I have to get out of here? I think he goes to Asgard in 142 for some sort of celebration. And that leads to the Super Scroll fight. But I could be wrong. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Hmm. Janet has new clothes, new costume. New costume. And she likes making Goliath jealous. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So there's an important panel. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Page seven, first panel. Um. Janet is saying things in this scene about how attractive men are, which uh-huh. she is wont to do. She often right. makes comments about yes. how attractive men are. That's quite yes. a set of muscles you've got there, Hercules. You'd turn any girl's head. Uh-huh. And we get her thought bubble, and um, which we don't often do. We see that she's saying this just to turn Hank's head. Uh-huh. But Hercules is reading her remarks as sincere just uh-huh. as I think many readers tend to do. They think of her as flighty and flirty and can you please just figure out what your life is. Mm-hmm. Um, but even though maybe they're actually expressing a, a, a real attraction, she's not actually coming on to these men. But maybe Hercules doesn't get how humans work. No, no. Hercules doesn't get it because Hercules is like, yeah. hey, this lady. But um, does, she, does she like me? Why is she talking about my muscles? Right. But she does not. And I just, I just think it's important because like – yeah. There's always something underneath the surface. And if you can find a justification for a weird behavior that makes more sense with the character, I think it's worth doing. And here it's done for us. And this is a throwback to Jan of uh, Strange Tales, right? In a way. Uh, Tales to Astonish? Tales to Astonish, yeah. She's like uh, uh, chomping for the attention of Hank Pym, and her way of doing that is to get him jealous, right? Mm-hmm. That She's done that move. many times before. So it's kind of neat to see that and to see the thought bubbles from her because I feel like lately we haven't – since she's been back, we haven't really got much from her. We've um, got this new getting, story beat with her getting her money. Yeah, yeah. so there's that. So she's she's getting uh, more things happening. Um, when Iron Man and Thor leave, Iron Man is going off to Vietnam to fight Half-Face. Oh. So first he's going to do the testing at the army base or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um. Hercules, an official member as of Avengers 45, if anybody's indexing this sort of thing, like people used to do on the internet when it was cool. <laughs> yeah, Captain America made the comment about how they have enough Avengers to start a colony, and I'm like, we haven't really gained one in a while, but here we go. We just got Hercules. So they have to change their corner box next issue from six to seven. Oh, yeah. Seven's a good number. I like, I like a seven-person team. That's kind of like my favorite number. I don't know why. It's pretty magnificent. Yeah. The big seven, you know? Not that these are the big seven, but... It's nice right. to have a strong man on the team again. He's kind of been on the team already this whole time, but uh, now it's official. Whenever they're doing the ant size fight, I really uh-huh. want the Avengers who are just standing around picking their noses to just reach down and pick up the adaptoid and smush him. That was very weird, right? Especially page 12 where it almost – or is it 12? Where it looks like that's what they're thinking about. Mm-hmm. They're just like, I, we don't even know that the fight's gone away. We're just standing here. <laughs> Mad about you, Zon. Let's go watch TV. <laughs> But it was kind of cool that it was a Goliath 
wasp show for a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like when they team up against the bad guy. And I like that she grabs him and then grows to full size and throws him into a tree. It didn't really mm-hmm. work, but it was a cool move. She's getting creative. I mean, she, mm-hmm. she, she kind of calls attention to the fact that her, her powers and abilities are not really that far beyond those immortal men. She just shrinks and flies, but she's finding interesting things to do with that limited ability set. Page 14. Oh, Hank, darling, if only I could make you grow to normal size because he's unconscious. Mm. Uh, I was like, hey, yeah, like he used to be able to just change your size whenever he felt like it. Too bad he didn't give you that power. (laughs) That's right. Because now you're stuck. Um, Hawkeye needs to bite his tongue on that same page um, because he talks about the lack of superpowers I know he's really after Cap. Without any real superpowers, my Star Spangled Bay wants in a snowball's chance. And like Hawkeye is talking about Captain America's lack of superpowers. I know. I mean, really. Is that because he can shoot a bow and arrow or something? He can shoot a bow and arrow. And Captain America can do everything else. I'm pretty sure Captain America could shoot a bow and arrow too. The only thing I don't really like about the way the story is structured in this, because I, I, I like so much of this issue. but um, Yeah. I wish there had been something that actually gave Pietro the idea that he uses mm-hmm. to save the day at the end because it comes out of nowhere. You're right. It does. And they make it seem like, what is it, on 17? He's like, I have this idea. I'm going to try something. And then he swooshes past him mm-hmm. and gets knocked out. But it's like, what was the idea to swoosh past him? And then later there's dialogue where he's like, in fact, there's not even a page where he says, like, Avengers, try this. It's only after the fact. They're like, thanks, Pietro, for that idea that was off camera. Oh, something. yeah. I've, so you're right. There's some there's it's some weird. scripting to fill in the gaps here that doesn't really exist. Yeah. It's yeah. always weird when that happens. It's a Don Heck thing. I don't know why. Mm. But it always seems to be a Don Heck thing. Maybe that's part of John why people Buscema's don't like gone now. He is, sadly. Where is he? I don't know. He'll be back again someday. Like Frosty the Snowman? Yeah. Yeah, cool issue. Like, I don't know. The super adaptoid is a little weird. Every time I read it, it's like, well, he's a robot. Why didn't they just program to have these powers? Why does he have to absorb them? I don't understand that. Like, he's not mimic, but I I don't know. Otherwise, it's cool. But he does get, like, new uh, visuals every uh-huh. time he absorbs a power. That's neat. You send us back next issue. Okay, cool. He just, for whatever reason, took an issue off. Okay. Um. The one other thing I had written down is that Wanda is right to worry on page 20, panel one. Steve senses, as do I, a strange bitterness in Pietro's voice. I wonder what ill this may bode for the future. Oh, cool. Nice setup. Mm-hmm. And there's a little subplot with Whirlwind. And I'm curious to see if it starts next issue or soon after, or if it's like down the road. I can't remember when it happens. We'll, we'll get to it when I get to it. Okay. Astonish? Astonish. Astonish. Is it me? It's me. It is you. Tales to Astonish 97, introducing the Legion of the Living Lightning. Long live the Legion of Living Lightning. Okay, the Sovereign and the Savages, however, is first, featuring Prince Namor, the Submariner. Um, Namor is bound by some energy bands. So, you are a fool, Plunderer, to think that these seething bands of energy will long hold the Avenging Son of Atlantis. Though I be entrapped for the moment, still the final triumph must ever be Namor's. And Plunder is like, those electronic bands are scarcely my only weapon, Submariner. As you have already seen, I don't know what Plunder's voice is. You are alive merely because <laughs> I so I wish it. <laughs> you what? I hope it's not that. <laughs> well, he's British, right? So I was like, Logar, uh, have all got. That's true. And I, that's I, I, true. I'm stereotyping. I apologize, British friends. Um, but I just, 
I imagined this, you know, ugly, gruff, plunderer-sounding posh, and it just made me smile. Um, so, yeah, I have all the guards return to their posts while I deal with Namor, who dared to invade Skull Island, which is where we left off last issue. Stanley prestigiously presents a Roy Thomas Werner Roth classic of cataclysmic chaos, inked by Dan Adkins, lettered by L.P. Gregory. And because Namor's a bit too busy to say it himself just now, Imperious Rex. Now that that item of incredible insignificance is dispensed with, it's enjoyment time, faithful one, so let us tarry no longer. Um, Plunderer gives us his life story about how he's been chilling in the Savage Land for a long time. On Skull Island, during all of the other stories where we've been to the Savage Land, he's been here too. Just, you know, over there. So the X-Men fought Kazar. He was there. Um, Savage people um, brought Kazar to him or something like that. He was there. Now he's got this big gun that he's going to use, this invincible weapon. It's a Vibra gun. He's going to use it to enslave the world. He shoots a wall with it and it zaps or something like that. Um, Anyways, so out on the shores of the Skull Island, the Savage Land people are encroaching upon his territory. They beat up his guards. They grab a Vibra gun. They shoot the wall and it blows up the wall and plunders like, oh my gosh, that wall was disintegrated. And uh, Namor's captivity breaks down. The plunderers people attack the savage land people. Um, And let's see what happens. Namor and plunder, they don't fight. What is it they're doing? Plunder tries to get away from him with the Vibra gun, and then they fight. Okay, Namor and 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 Plunder start fighting. Plunder has like lots of gadgets and who's it's kind of like Doctor Doom's castle in Amazing Spider-Man Five. There's just lots of stuff to randomly attack Namor with, and so he does until up in the sky above where there's a hole, a Savage Land person is trying to uh, get a you know, a huge chunk of roofing to fall in on Namor. Plunderer sees this about to happen. It's like, okay, that's going to happen. Namor gets knocked out by the rock. And um, Plunderer's like, thank you, Savage Land person, for saving my life. I will knock you out now. Skull Island Fortress has pretty much been destroyed. So Plunderer gets his other pirates and they all get on a speedboat and they sail away. Meanwhile, Namor um, wakes up schluffs off the boulder because he can totally do that sees the savage land guy unconscious beside him decides to save him from the exploding island uh he brings the savage land person to the other savage land people and they're like hey it's our friend he brought our prince back to us we're not going to attack him because he helped us uh namor sees the plunderer sailing away back in atlantis dorma and vashti are talking about how namor is working with the plunderer because she misunderstood why they were in the same room on her monitor at the end of last issue so they go and talk to the council and the council's like yep namor is out again we don't like him anymore back in the savage land namor is feasting with the savage landians uh plunderer is in his missile ship getting ready to attack Atlantis with his Vibra guns. Atlantis is ready to exile Namor. Next issue, if Atlantis should perish. Yeah. Me no likey. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's Werner Roth art, so it's 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 pretty good, nice to look at. It's kind of house style at this yeah. point. But yeah. He, 
he was on X-Men for a while. He's over here for two issues. Then he's going to go back to the X-Men to do a backup story series. Mm. that's going to start in the X-Men. Okay. Um, Is it called Tales of Asgard? It's called Origins of the X-Men. Oh, no. Oh, interesting, maybe. Could be maybe. cool. Could be cool. <laughs> that's a no, but all right. <laughs> I do like that Dorma is moving storylines and having agency. I kind of wish it weren't all based on an error, but I guess that's just a part of drama. Um, yeah. Yeah. The story definitely sets up various things. But Namor and the Plunderer is just kind of <sighs> blah. Well, like, first of all, the Plunderer is kind of blah. And then, like, half mm-hmm. of the story is the Plunderer talking about himself, which is kind of blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he gets away, which just is so disappointing because that means he's going to come back maybe next issue even. Yeah. Or maybe he's done out here. I don't know. Uh, we have at least next issue. I forget exactly how many issues, but whenever I saw that he was in several issues of this, I was kind of surprised because I was like the plunderer for a whole arc of astonish. That's weird. I think the one thing I like is that the savages accidentally or on purpose take out Submariner, which is what lets plunderer escape. But then the Submariner wakes up and, saves the guy anyway, uh, the chief, mm-hmm. and and ends up at their house like partying. That part I kind of liked. Yeah. I don't I don't like Dorma's um assumption and I don't like that that assumption can so quickly just lead into a uh, very important change based on nothing, you know? That's kind of oh. They have banished their prince 2 minutes after yeah, apologizing for banishing him. Like, don't even ask his side or anything. That's right. And he can't return. We're going to fight him away, even if it costs him his life. Which means the next story is going to be like him fighting Atlantis just to get Mm -hmm. back home or something. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Submariner continues to be like one of the issues I'm never excited about getting into. Yeah. It's funny on the show. We I always have, and it changes, maybe partly because... Show, you know, series end or change also, but like there's always like those one or two titles where it's kind of like, oh, groan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Let me be wide awake for this one because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not excited. And then there's other ones that I'm always like, yay, it's, you know, Fantastic Four Day or whatever. Right. Uh, random note that I, I thought about while we were talking. Um, not about this issue, last issue. Uh huh. Remember we got all that cool lore about Namor's past with the first Atlantis and all uh-huh. that? Yeah, yeah. It popped in my head. We actually got to see some of that first Atlantis stuff because when Namor first got his memories back in Fantastic Four number four, Mm -hmm. he went to Atlantis and found it abandoned and in ruins. Oh. And that's that's when he went on the search for his people. He didn't know where New Atlantis was. That's right. So apparently he thought it was somewhere near New York because he also kept popping up in New York every other issue. And Atlantis, the original one, didn't seem to be too far from New York. It didn't take it very long to get down there, even though it was Antarctica. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I guess he flies really fast underwater. So looking for his people for all those issues back in the day, that was him trying to find this new Atlantis city. Right. That was a lot of back and forth, if I recall, on that. Like, he found yeah. him. He doesn't find him. He finds him. He doesn't find him. And then one, one or two times, they kind of showed up to help him out of nowhere, mm-hmm. only to disappear again. There was the big hurrah, he found his people in the, in the annual, but then yeah. they ditch him at the end. <laughs> and then he has some like random scraggling soldiers sometimes. And then they yeah. all get back together, get off panel, and we see him with his people again. Right. Hulk time? Hulk time. The legend, legions of 
Living Lightning. The latest, the greatest, smiling Stan Lee and madcap Marie Severin, literary and artistic smasheroo, inked by Howlin' Herb Trimpey, lettered by Scowlin' L.P. Gregory. He's in like, every story today. Gregory Schmagery. Hey, what's going on here? Well, we're glad you asked. Leaping into the air via the most powerful legs in all the world, the gargantuan Hulk accidentally collides with a low-flying jet. And that's it. We're off. Um, he then falls into the jungle and crashes and pulls the pilot out of the jet. He's still alive. I can feel his heartbeat. I'll take him to the mountains away from the flames. And um, he's like, maybe if I tell this guy... If this guy tells people that I saved him, maybe they'll be nice to Hulk. They'll stop hating him. They'll stop coming after him. And guy wakes up. <gasps> it's you. You're the monster. Why did you do it? Why did you attack our plane? He's like, you stupid person. I didn't attack anybody. Why you always got to get, you know, they, um, they don't get along. But then, um, he's like, no, wait, 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 wait a second. You're so strong. Maybe we could use you. Take me to the living lightning and I can give you a new life where you'll feel a belonging and have friends and lots of stuff. So Hulk's like, oh, that sounds good. So he picks up dude and they jump away to this cave that has a doormat in the front. There's a triangular shape with a lightning bolt on it. And in the cave is a rather large, you know, the sphinxes and the never ending story. Whenever mm-hmm. Treyu has to go through the gate Basically that, only there's lightning coming between them. It's kind of like that. There's like these weird statues thing facing each other. Um, so he goes inside there. Wait, meanwhile, we catch up with all of our supporting characters that we haven't seen in five solid issues. Rick Jones is talking to the Teen Brigade. Where's the Hulk? I don't know. Rick jo- uh, General Ross is talking to Glenn Talbot. Where's the Hulk? I don't know. Betty loves him. Uh, yeah, why does he do that? Why doesn't she love me? I don't know. Um and also, Glenn Tao was like, if only the threat of the living lightning hadn't come along. We know so little about them, except how deadly they are. Dun, dun, dun. So Hulk goes into this thing, the sort of thing I was talking about earlier that doesn't really look like two sphinxes, but it's like these two things facing each other. They shoot Hulk with lightning. He doesn't like that, but it does knock him out. Uh, and the living lightning people, turns out they're just dudes with cool outfits and hats and glasses on, like visors, and they strut around in their cool outfits with their little gun holsters, kind of like they belong in a Flash Gordon comic strip. Um, And yeah, they've got the Hulk, let the power of the living lightning be removed. The Hulk is our friend. He must not be harmed. Hulk is not happy about having been captured, but he gets over it. And they're all like, yeah, we're just, um, we're just hanging out, trying to do stuff that's important for the world. Um, we're pledged to destroy war and abolish hatred and you should help us. So it's like, yeah, I'll do that. Meanwhile, Glenn Talbot is spying on the outside of the living lightning stronghold. He gets whacked on the back of the head by a lightninger. Um, Glenn Talbot comes in, Hulk, you're here working with the living lightning that proves you're evil and a spy and no good. And Betty doesn't deserve, or you don't deserve Betty and all this stuff. And Hulk totally whaps him upside the head. These are Hulk's friends. Army tries to fight them. Hulk crush army. Nobody hurts Hulk's friends. And so Lady Lightning's like, yeah, Hulk, do that. Go smash the army. Hulk's like, Hulk smash army. He breaks through the wall. Nothing stops the Hulk. Hulk and you next issue. I always thought it'd be brilliant to like, that's how you should take on the Hulk is just try and be his friend. Mm-hmm. So it's working. It is working. They, they have, it works until he figures out that you're betraying him and then you're in big trouble, probably. But This is true. 
Did you notice that Hulk's six pack goes the wrong direction? <laughs> uh oh. What happened? I'm just looking at the splash page and I think it's pretty consistent. He has the wide torso. So the artist gives him two rows of three. He's upside of, down. Is that the problem? Just just confuse him? No, it should be two columns, of, like two up and downs of three. Yes, that's true. But oh well. That looks weird. Anyway. Hulk he points had three, out. He had this, three toes at one point too, though. So you know, oh, that's true. Knows. How many toes does he have now? Normal amount. Yeah, he has all his toes again. He points out in this issue that he doesn't want to hurt innocent people, only uh-huh. kill only kill all the guilty ones. <laughs> Is that what he says? Um, now he only says I don't want to hurt an innocent person, but I'm pretty sure he has said before to you know he wants to kill. I don't know. Yeah, I think he just likes to be contrary. You're not going to kill me. I wouldn't kill anybody. Hulk is a very inconsistent person. <laughs> he also knows how to do a splint, which shocked me a little. Yeah. Yeah, he does. He splints the guy's leg while he's unconscious, doesn't he? Yes. Do you think Maybe he like bannered out and fixed the guy's leg and hulked out again? Maybe, or just whatever banner knows Hulk knows to some degree, but mm-hmm. I don't know. It's not consistent. He does. He seems smarter again. We Here we were thinking like, we got to Hulk smash, but now he's back to talking a lot. It's still pretty, uh, pretty, you know, juvenile speech. Yes. We saw the Teen Brigade. We last saw them the same time we last saw everybody, which was five months ago. They were mentioned in issue 92. And it will yeah. be, ready for it, almost two years before they show up again. Weren't they just in an annual also, though? Or was I not thinking about that? I think they might have know. been in the, in the wedding annual, but that was like two annual rounds ago. Maybe I was just reviewing an old show of ours or something. I don't know. I thought we just saw them somewhere, but I don't know. Um, I feel it seems like the the Hulk stories like always have to do a check in mm-hmm. <laughs> with the supporting characters to remind us that he has supporting characters that he never interacts with. But with all the stuff with space, we haven't had that check in for a little while. Mm-hmm. It's also very weird anytime Thunderbolt Ross is fine with relaxing and letting the Hulk go, mm-hmm. which he does here. I'm giving up the search for the Hulk. Betty loves him, and I don't know what to do about that. It's like, really? You get much more obsessive later. This is, this is one of those scenes where I can definitely see the actor from the films in the, mm-hmm. in the scene, which I can't mm-hmm. always do with him. Yeah. Depends on which actor. The one from the MCU. Yeah. Well, he's worse. I liked the one from uh, the Shrek movie. Oh. The best. Yeah. But he was more like a human being. So uh, anyway. The big lie from the lightning people to Hulk is very sad. Just like, you know. They're lying to him to convince him, and but they're pulling the brainless beast. It's calming down. It means we've won. It's going to bite him in the butt. Mm-hmm. But not after, not before he destroys an army base. Speaking of the army base, Talbot mm-hmm. says that S.H.I.E.L.D. tipped them off about the Living Lightning. So the army is working with S.H.I.E.L.D. now. Ah. I think S.H.I.E.L.D. is just like an easy way for plot things to move forward. <laughs> Sometimes, I agree. Because no one's going to question how S.H.I.E.L.D. figured something out. They just know everything. Mm-hmm. And they've been going uh, since 1965, at least, because they were in the New York blackout. Remember that? Yeah. It was very important. So we have Thunderbolt Ross, like, I'm finally just going to give up on fighting the Hulk, and my daughter still loves the guy that turns into the monster. But then we also end this issue with the Hulk going to attack an army base. So it's like, how much you want to bet that undoes everything? <laughs> well, I am ready for Daredevil, if All you All right. Daredevil. I'm going to cheat, though, and grab a drink while you're recapping. I thought you were going to hum the Daredevil theme before I started. Daredevil, Daredevil. <laughs> What's the Daredevil theme? 
I don't know either. He, he has <laughs> a Netflix show. What's his fear. theme? I, I remember Dare that it's all melty and Dare stuff, but I don't know how it goes. Daredevil's coming near. Anyways. That's, I think that's exactly what it is. Okay. Yeah. Behold the Beatle, Daredevil number 33. Um, I'm going to actually read dialogue, so let me try and do my own voice. Let's see what the Beatles sound like. Daredevil, how did he know I was attacking an armored truck? And then the caption reads, actually, Old Hornhead didn't know. He was just swinging by and heard the sounds of screeching tires as his super-sensitive nostrils smelled the odor of the Beatles' nerve gas. But why dwell on that when it's action time ahead? Why do we bother telling you? Who else but Stan the Man Lee and Gene the Dean Colon could have produced this action-packed spectacular? And who but Irving Forbush could hope to equal John Tartaglioni's inking or Artie Sebeck's lettering? So yeah, it opens with Daredevil just attacking the Beatle. Because I guess he came upon him. Um, and they get into the fight, and Daredevil loses. And he kind of blames it on the fact that he hasn't been sleeping well, or he hadn't had a lot of sleep since his Hydra and Cobra uh, I Can't See or Hear debacle from the last couple of issues. I couldn't sleep either after that. So he goes to the office as Mike, and he's yawning a lot, and they notice Foggy and Karen. And he's like, you know what? We should all go on vacation. Uh, and he's thinking to himself, because I really need some rest if I let the beetle slip by me. And they're like, oh, that's a great idea. Where do you want to go? He's like, Canada? They're like, sure, we love Canada. Um, but do you think we should take Matt? Nah, he won't want to go. He's a stiff. He hates fun. And Karen's like really adamant about at least asking him. So he's like, okay, ask. So they call him, and she's like, Matt, we're going to go to Canada. Is that cool? And on the other end, she hears, yes, that is cool. Click. Um, because really what Matt slash Mike did was create a pre-recorded sound of his voice answering the obvious question that she was going to ask. <laughs> so then, I don't know. They're all like, he needs smarter friends is all I'm trying to say. So anyway, it's a train ride. They all get on the train. The train happens to be um, also transporting, I think, like awesome jewels or something like that. Because there's like two security guys there playing cards, like guarding the stuff. And guess what? The beetle wants that. So he boards the train. He gasses the room. He takes the box full of whatever. I can't even remember what it is. Who cares? Um, and Mike Murdoch hears this and he tells Foggy and Karen, cause he has that freedom to do that. He says, I'm going to go be daredevil. Bye. And he jumps out the window as daredevil. They get into a cool fight. They fall off the train. The two of them, um, they're like kind of in the middle of nowhere, like this sort of like mountainous river, thing stuff so there's lots of mountain uh fighting and at one point a waterfall um and daredevil almost drowns when he finally makes it back up the beetle is nowhere to be seen so he looks around for him and comes across this small town and he's like boy there's nobody here maybe if i land really loud and make some noise someone will show up sure enough these four dudes come along and he's like hi guys i'm looking for but before he can finish the sentence they attack him they all have rifles and they look like thugs and he's like dude what i i are you guys sure you don't even know me why are you attacking me but turns out this little town is somehow owned by the beetle and they capture daredevil and they say hey boss and he comes out and he's like now you're going to die next among one or two other things the origin of the beetle exclamation we really need that we need that origin yeah yeah, because we didn't already have it. No. Well, a lot of bad guys don't get origins. And I didn't realize how much that was a thing. So I thought like everybody got an origin because in Spider-Man, usually they get origins. But lots of bad guys don't get origins. Well, let's remember. Let's try and remember because that's good for us in our old age to try and remember things. But the Beetle was originally a human torch bad guy. Mm-hmm. 
and we got nothing. He just showed up. Was he just a dude that had armor? But we didn't we didn't uh, learn anything about him. We didn't learn anything about him. It's possibly his name. Um, maybe we got a motivation, but I don't I don't think so. I um, want to say the motivation was he wanted to beat the Fantastic Four and show how awesome his armor was, and he's going to start with the Human Torch, right? I don't know. I I'm looking. I'm actually Maybe looking. Abner up. Jenkins is his name, and uh, he did show up. There were a couple of uh, Strange Tales issues. Um, he was there for a Torch Spider-Man team up in Spider-Man around the early 20s. Um, and I don't know if we've seen him in a while since then. He was hoping that defeating half of the Fantastic Four would make him an overnight sensation. There you go. See, it was something dumb like that. Strange Tales 123. So that's all we know about him is he was a dude who wanted fame and he made armor. And he tried to kidnap the Human Torch's girlfriend, Dory Evans, which is whenever the whole Peter Parker, Spider-Man, Johnny Storm confusion happened. Because remember, Peter went over to Dory's house and Johnny got jealous and Dory was trying to make him jealous. Yeah, I remember all that. One of the few times we actually got Dory in a story and it wasn't even in Strange Tales. (laughs) Right. I remember that, and I also remember the beetle like somehow escaped by digging a hole in the ground, and Reed Richards had to explain to Thing and Torch to like that beetles dig, or was that not the beetle? I don't remember. That was the beetle? I believe okay. you. But I don't remember specifically. It's like I, we needed a scientific genius to explain how he was escaping. The last digging. time we saw him was whenever the Collector had hired him against his will uh, to help him collect Avengers. Okay. Remember he was. Um, he was the shadowy figure at the end of an Avengers issue right. about to get Hawkeye while Hawkeye was trying to remind himself how the doohickey worked. Yes. To the, the, yeah. Um, and Hawkeye defeated him. At the end of that Collector story, Collector and Beetle sailed off into space. And I speculated oh. at the time that possibly the Collector like drops Beetle off in like Jersey before he goes off and does more stuff in space. And that's, okay. that leads him to this. Well, we'll find out next issue, I guess, hopefully. I guess maybe we will, or they'll just forget. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But as Daredevil goes these days, this one was not super insane, which was nice. No, this was kind of normal without, I mean, okay, Mike Murdoch's here, which automatically has a little bit of insanity. Also, okay, I don't know. Maybe I just haven't been creative enough to try it, but leaving a tape recording for an uncontrolled phone call from mm-hmm. Karen mm-hmm. and just assuming it would say everything that she needed to hear. <sighs> yeah. She's like, hi, Matt. Instead of saying, what if she said, how are you? But she goes right to, we're trying to uh, go on vacation. He's like, well, what are you waiting for? Start packing. It's like when you say what's up and someone mishears you and they say fine. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, Matt. How are you? Well, what are you waiting for? Let's start packing, lady. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> and they say that Matt would, they're wondering if Matt can look after things while they're gone. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not even sure what looking after things means. but Keeping the law office going, I guess. Yeah. And Mike's like, yeah, Matt can do that, but he's not going to do that. Because he's not going to be there because you are Matt. <laughs> so like when they come back, are they going to be like, what happened to Matt? Why is all the mail all over the floor? Right. Why isn't the trash been, Yeah. Yeah. I'm just amused at this whole thing. And I know that I like it more than you do, but who needs a secret identity when you can just pretend to be someone who's pretending to be you? Well, that's what I was saying. Like page eight, it's very convenient for him that he can just say, I'm going to go be Daredevil now. Mm -hmm. Right? But the thing is, is, like, 
somehow being Matt, Mike, I'm sorry, I was about to say Matt, foolish me, Some, somehow being Mike is safe and them knowing him and knowing he's Daredevil is safe for their existence. But if they knew that Matt was Daredevil, they'd be in danger. Right. That's like, what? So like you would think this would carry over and he'd realize how awesome it is that he can just be himself around them. But it probably doesn't. And he is really mean to Foggy. Foggy and Matt are supposed to be best friends. Yes, but do you remember how like very quickly once Karen was introduced, which was immediately what that Foggy was not so friendly sometimes? Mm, that's true. And then I'm like wondering if like there's just deep resentment between both of them that they're so easy to uh, hate on the other one. So maybe, like you said it, I think you said this on some other episode that Mike is basically what Matt wishes he could be. Mm-hmm. So like, oh, does so that mean he's he, like driving back at Foggy because he actually has, yeah. Yeah, like he actually finds Foggy annoying sometimes. And so it's nice for Mike to be able to just say that. Remember when Foggy pretended to be Daredevil for three issues? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> if I if I ever say I have to go out of town, don't ask any questions. I just, I have yeah. to go out of town. It's fine. Right. I just have things to take care of. Yes. In the same place that Dr. Doom was attacking the city, but it's unrelated. Right, right, right. Did Beetle have stretchy fingers before? I meant to go look and forgot. I think he did. Okay. I believe this is still the same look that he was sporting initially because it's not the cool look yet. I knew he had like the tubey fingers. They just, I didn't remember them like stretching out. Maybe that's how he attacks with them, but I just forgot. He also would like wrap his body with his wings and he didn't do that in this issue that much. But that was like like a big thing. Yeah, that was like a big, my abestos wings will will prevent the human torch from blobbity blobbing me. The whole waterfall scene is beautiful, but that would have to wreak havoc with Matt's senses, right? There's right. no way he can tell anything that's going on with that waterfall blazing in his ears. That would that would wreck our senses. Yeah. Have you ever like been to the ocean and got knocked underwater and actually don't know which way is up? It's kind of scary. Yeah, I did have a near-drowning experience. I don't remember a lot of the details of it, but I'm sure that was part of it mm-hmm. uh, when I was like 13. It's like once you're underwater... And it's moving water. Like you can just easily be disoriented. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Beetle is like the mayor. He's he's the burgomeister. I guess, yeah. Or they took over this town, or what? I don't know what this town is—a ghost town or something. Yeah. But I actually, as I was summarizing this, I was like, I almost don't even remember reading this part, but just because it was just kind of tacked on feeling. But it does feel very apropos of nothing. It's kind of like, oh, so this is what's going to happen now. What's going on in this town? Why is he in this town? I don't remember this. Oh, yeah. The Beetle owns it. He's the mayor. The Beatles own it. You wait. Someday I'll be, I'll be something. That's right. You're going to be mayor. <laughs> That's right. I'll be, be mayor. mayor. Mayor Goldie Beetle. I like I was, the sound of that. I'm going to clean up this town. You can start by sweeping the floor. <laughs> His mission, destroy the Fantastic Four. Whose mission? Oh, no. It doesn't say. Good. We don't want it to say. So we have Fantastic Four 68, um, and let's say we try a simple beginning for a change. Alicia Masters recuperating in the hospital from the ordeal she underwent last issue from a damn warlock. From him, whatever his name is. Him. Not them, but him. She's visited by Ben Grimm and a few other well-known friends. You know, our supporting cast. Johnny, Uh Crystal, Susan, Reed. Another Titanic thrill fest by Smiling Stan Lee and Jolly Jack Kirby, inking Joe Sinnott, lettering Artie Simic, Frenzy by Forbush, featuring Mighty Marvel's mystery villain of the month. All right, so um, 
Alicia's, uh, you know, getting better. She's so thankful and appreciative for Ben coming to see her. And while they're talking, um, Sue and Reed are in the background, literally going, if only she knew he was ugly. Oh, my God. What would that do? And yeah. Ben's like, I hate being ugly. <laughs> and so he leaves and he's like, Reed, get back to them test tubes. Make me beautiful again. Meanwhile, rando dude gets thrown in this cell where somebody with eyeballs is lurking, uh, watching in through the uh, portal. We hit, turns on these hypno lenses and interrogates the guy. Why did you come to America? Why did Reed Richards send for you? And turns out this is Dr. Santini. He's a chemist. And Reed Richards is looking for his help in turning the thing back to human. Well, mystery person. Well, We'll get back to him in a few minutes. What he's going to do is he's going to take Dr. Santini's place now that mm-hmm. he knows everything about Dr. Santini. So back at the Fantastic Four headquarters, Ben is very upset about his um, appearance. It's really got him down and reads like, okay, I've got to cheer this guy up. Um, I know. He used to have a crush on my wife. So let's go have some fun <laughs> with her. So they go out to their living room and Susan Storm Richards, excuse me, Susan Richards has made a new mini skirt costume. Um, it's pretty cute. It's sort of the same look as a Star Trek uniform from the original mm-hmm. series. If you were Uhura or some other female character or that one dude in Encounter at Farpoint who walks by with the yeah, costume. Right? right? I know. So um, she's invisible, though, because she doesn't want anyone else to see her new outfit until she's ready. And Reed Rich is like, oh, no, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. She's like, oh, no, don't get me. Don't get me. And they play. And he, like, turns into a blanket. And he lands on Sue. And Sue's like, Ben, you have to save me from this mean man. He's like, <gasps> and he blows Reed Richards off of Susan Storm. And, um... Yeah, so they have a good time. And it, it cheers Ben up. He's smiling. He's laughing. It's great. Johnny and um, Crystal are looking at cars back at the garage workshop. And some dude starts hitting on Crystal. And Johnny starts to fight back. And Crystal's like, no, please don't. He says, I will anyway. And she gets really mad that the meathead boyfriend is getting you know, too aggressive with the meathead who's hitting on her inappropriately. She whips out her elemental superpowers. Uh, random meathead is like, I'm afraid of powerful women. You can keep this girl. Um, and we change scenes back to the Fantastic Four, where suddenly Ben is in a good mood. They're going to go out to eat. Um, mystery villain does the whole thing where he turns himself into Dr. Santini so he can show up. The Fantastic Four put on clothes and Ben is like, it's been 68 issues and I still don't know how to wear clothes. So we can't go out. Dr. Santini shows up. They shake hands um, and they talk about how they can turn Ben back to normal. Um, ben goes for a walk. Uh, the Yancey street gang try to tussle with him. They shoot him in the head with a slingshot. But, you know, Ben Grimm's head. It's made of rocks, so the slingshot doesn't do anything except knock his hat off. He leans over, picks it up, and keeps on walking. In Fantastic Four headquarters, Dr. Santini is there. He has come up with um, the formula and the the energy beam and everything else to be needed. Reed Richards is a little bit confused about his ability because there was an accident where he did something and ended up endangering Ben instead of helping him. And Reed's like, I expected better from you, Dr. Santini, man of your skill and reputation. 
Anyways, so while they're doing this stuff to Ben that's supposed to change him back, Santini changes some of the settings, and he's like, no, don't change the settings. And he blasts Ben, and Ben changes all right into angry Ben. And Reed's like, you changed the thing into an angry thing. You have totally betrayed us. And next issue by Ben Betrayed. And I'm like, okay, how do you know that Ben is different, though? Because he's totally acts like this on the regular basis. (laughs) But, you know, whatever. Good issue, though. Really good issue. And we still don't know who the mystery villain is. Which is kind of cool, I thought. Yeah, it's it's definitely a different choice. I was not expecting that. Yeah. Like, just tell us it's Dr. Doom already, you know? Is it Dr. Doom? Because he has a mustache. He I, trim- oh, he trims clue. his mustache to look like Santini's mustache, which I call BS because being a possessor of a mustache, everyone's mustache is very different. And you can't just make yours look like somebody else's unless you happen to have the same growth style. It doesn't just happen. He has a lot of uh, clues as to what he's done to look like Santini. Because he also talks about going on a crash diet to oh, match yeah. his weight. Uh, what else does he say? I was wondering if it was the thinker, but he Plastic organic nose. Thinker doesn't have a mustache. So he only adds a nose, which means he can't be Dr. Doom because Dr. Doom is like scarred. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be someone else. This isn't really Doom style. Well, I don't know. It could be Doom style, but- Doom yeah, does whatever I, he feels like is a, is a good move. Could be the thinker, because the thinker would have to lose weight to look like this guy. Mm-hmm. He's kind of portly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know who it is, but it was cool that they didn't tell me either. So I'm not going to look it up. I'm going to let it happen next to issue. Yeah, it's kind of more fun know. that way. I, I've been doing the same thing when I don't know something. Hold on to my willpower here. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this is an issue where, I mean, yes, Santini's a bad guy, so I guess they – in theory, kind of fight him, but they don't fight him. So in this entire issue, there's no baddie to beat up, mm-hmm. which was kind of cool. Oh, you're I right. Thought. There's no actual fight. There's occasional small action bits, like with Blackie the jerk and um, Johnny and Crystal. There's that, and there is the menace of Santini and the fact that we know he's a he's not the real Santini and he's going to try and hurt them and stuff. But like the Fantastic Four didn't don't get into a big brawl to defeat a bad guy in this story. They just get to like kind of go about their lives. It's like a day in the life in a way. I really liked the um, Ben, Sue, Reed scene that starts with the miniskirt. Uh-huh. Me too. I was also kind of surprised at the miniskirt because I kind of feared – that the pregnancy would have Stan and Jack immediately ensconce Sue like a nun. Uh-huh. But this feels natural to me. I liked it. Yeah, and maybe like cuz she knows she's pregnant, she wants to keep the sex appeal going for Yeah, she a while wants to or something. I've never been a woman. I've certainly never been pregnant, but I imagine the oh. idea to like, you know, keep your keep your figure going for a little while and enjoy it knowing that it's going to go away for a while is probably part of it for some people yeah. at least. And also, she's always trying to get Reed's attention because he's always so busy doing this everything. This is true. This so is true. It worked. And I thought it was fun to watch them like play and not get into a fight or talk about superhero stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, it's just a cool relationship between the three of them. We have facial recognition software in 1967 because the guy says he passes himself off as Santini so well that a computer can't tell the difference. Huh. Although a computer in 1967 wouldn't have been able to tell the difference anyway, so. Well, a Reed Richards computer could. That's true. But I don't know that that happened in the. Have they uh, never? I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, Crystal used her powers. 
she actually flared up her powers and was like Miss Elemental there for a minute. It was pretty cool. And was awesome. Yeah, that last panel on page eight where she's just like tornadoing all of them. That was just awesome. And it's just, Blackie's just terrible. He treats Chris like a oh, prize yeah. to be won. And then oh, yeah. once she realizes that she's actually a pretty powerful person, he's like, I can't handle a woman who I might feel intimidated by, so I'm going to go. They're all kind of, like, I don't know. I guess this is, I've heard this in movies and stuff too. I can't even, maybe because my friends are all nerds and dumb and horrible at, with women and stuff. But like Johnny shows up and all the guys are like, how come you've been keeping her from us? Like they all get to have a turn or something. I don't know what that means. Keeping her from us. Yeah. That's, that's weird. It's, and then it, he's like, yeah, you should have introduced her to me. And everybody's like, careful, Johnny, he's trying to steal your woman. It's like, that has never in my life happened to me. Right. When I introduce my friends to, you know, the one and a half women I've dated in my life. So. They said the same thing about Mary Jane whenever Peter first brought her into the coffee bean, but Mary Jane has uh-huh. much more of a flirty, outgoing, take any meal mm. who comes along and have fun and then move on to the next one kind of attitude. So it didn't really rub me the wrong way. But no. this one highlights how... But com- Crystal's like foreign and not human and mm-hmm. would probably find this weird. <laughs> I like how Santini's like, come on, Richard, don't you know what scientist means in comic books? I'm not just a chemist. I can do other stuff. How smart is this Santini that Reed Richards brings him in as a consult? I know. The original one, I mean, who's probably dead now. I don't know. Right. <laughs> and um, have they yeah, just by just by the thing like XXL outfits, maybe. Have they never addressed like clothes? <laughs> it's to be been fair, six he years. doesn't wear them. He never wears them, so maybe he just doesn't have the practice. I don't know. That's true. Maybe he actually never goes out. And whenever he does want to put on clothes, he just puts on a big old overcoat. Maybe it's because they snag on his skin and it's rocky, so like it rips. I don't know. Oh, you know what it is? Dress-up clothes always fit you in uncomfortable ways, and maybe it's just mm-hmm. emphasizing that. Yeah. I mean, it was funny, but it's also like I'm pretty sure we could we have unstable molecules. We can't figure out how to dress the thing so his stuff doesn't break. I love the Yancey Street scene. Mm-hmm. Damn that Johnny. <laughs> Actually, you know what happened in my brain? So Uh, page 15, the last uh, panel, he's walking along and there are those two guys who are looking at him. uh Uh-huh. And the next page, you see people like drawing a bead on the, I think it's those two guys. I think those two guys put away that, that newspaper and the red jacket guy is pulling out a slingshot. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Good issue. Cool cliffhanger. I think we've seen the thing like try and kill the Fantastic Four before, but uh, good stuff. Look and see if there's anything else I had. Sue says that her woman's intuition is hardly concrete evidence. And I'm like, well, that's a change. Normally, female intuition is a superpower you can depend upon with your life. And it hasn't been wrong so far. Right. But yeah, mystery bad guy, cliffhanger, good stuff. Yep. Okay, well, that's five comics. We just blazed through them. We did it. Yeah, that's our new number, I think. That's our new number. Okay, so... The plan going forward is five comics every episode and five comics next episode will include the X-Men 37, Amazing Spider-Man 54 that will finish out August 1967. So we'll do a little rundown of which one we like the most and the least. Then Sergeant Fury 48, Strange Tales 163 on episode 163, Natch. Thor 146 is number five and that is the end of our list. So Mike, where can they find us? Type Make Ours Marvel into your favorite podcast app. If that doesn't work, go to makeoursmarvel.com where you can find links to your hopefully favorite podcast app or our RSS feed. Or if that doesn't work, just write us with the contact form on the site 
or write directly, directly, I should say, to podcast at makearsmarvel.com. And on makearsmarvel.com, you will find a PayPal link, which was recently used by Gunnar Lauhofer to give a rather um, uh, awesome donation. So thank you very much for that. And we uh, appreciate all donations to help offset the costs of the uh, hosting and all of the other stuff that goes into the running of the show. So um, we'll be back next week. Oh, also Twitter. I'm on Twitter. John Reads Comics. Mike's on Twitter. Kaiser the Great. You should be on Twitter. And if you're not, who are you? Be on Twitter. All right. So we'll be back next week for more comic-y goodness. And until then, or until Jasper Sidwell has to take orders from... Iron Man, director of S.H.I.E.L.D., make ours marvel. marvel.